Greetings, and welcome to The Ace Case, where we make the case for the importance of addressing childhood trauma. Adverse childhood experiences have a ripple effect across society. Trauma is embedded in all of our lives, impacting our health and wellness in many ways. By having honest conversations with local community members, we hope to share stories and ideas surrounding health, wellness, resilience, and healing. Trauma is a current shaping all of our lives. If we attempt to better understand its impacts, we can become better equipped to answer what is possibly the most important question of all. How do we heal from trauma? In this podcast, we will be highlighting the work and perspectives of community members, have a few laughs, and enjoy a non-alcoholic beverage along the way. Wherever you are in your healing journey, this podcast is for you. Thank you to our talented, inspiring guests who volunteered their time to sit down for our conversation. Thank you to OVCDC and ACEs Aware for your continued support. I am your host, Luke Wilson. I'm a master's candidate in social work and am employed by the Owens Valley Career Development Center. This is the ACE case. Thank you for listening. Manahu, I hope this finds you well. This is episode four of the ACE case podcast. Uh, This one really felt like a special one and I'm really excited to share it with you all. This was a conversation with Carrie Brown and Leticia Gonzalez. a mother-daughter combo, the first time I've done that, and it was really fun. I think it kind of ended up having this dinner table vibe to it. So I, I laughed so much during this one. I learned a lot, and just just a really um, positive conversation for me to have. And I'm just I continue to be blown away by the work these two are doing in the community. Um, Carrie is over at the Education Center, but has also worn a lot of hats throughout the years. Um, Carrie had some really great perspective on how Bishop has changed over the years, and she reflected on that not only related to services being offered to community members, but also just um, the changes that she's observed with her own eyes. It should be noted that Leticia was very pregnant during the recording of this podcast, and she went out on leave shortly thereafter. And I am pleased to say that she had a beautiful baby boy in early September. So shout out Leticia, shout out Junior, um, shout out Carrie for just being willing to sit down with me and have some real conversation. Um, I wanted to make a a quick correction on this one. At one point during the episode, I did mention that the expulsion rate is up to three times as high uh, for Native youth. And the actual figure is that it's 4.2% higher for native youth in terms of their risk to be expelled compared to the rest of the population. And for reference, the suspension rate is over two times as much than compared with other groups. My other favorite part of this, and I don't want it to be too much of a spoiler, was just Leticia talking about being a young Twilight fan and doing a dance with one of the cast members of Twilight in front of many people at a conference. Um, other highlights were just hearing Carrie and Leticia just talk about the work they do with the youth and specifically some of the programs that they're heavily involved with, like NASA, like Unity, like Youth Council, all these programs that are really just out there making positive moves in the community right now. So yeah, big shout out to these two. Thank you for sitting down with me and I hope you enjoy episode four of the Ace Case. 
I'm just really excited to hear what you two have to say and try to get some, um, just some opinions related to the ACEs stuff and related to kind of what the youth are going through with the pandemic and everything. And, you know, just talk about Inyo County in general, but Bishop specifically as well. So, uh, thank you so much for coming on you two. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Yes. I was going to say the same. Thank you, Luke. (laughs) All right. So I wonder if we could just start with both of you kind of introducing yourself, um, just the 50,000 foot view of like, you know, where you come from, what was your path to this line of work and what you're doing now? Okay. She's saying elders first. (laughs) So courteous. I know. So, um, I was born and raised in Bishop, California, and I'm very like invested in my community and all of our relatives, um, just, you know, anyone that's, you know, in this valley, because um, growing up here, I wasn't just Bishop. I have family members from Big Pine and Vining all the way to, you know, Lone Pine, probably even further, but just like an enjoyment of the valley in all, and then, you know, having community or family members throughout. And also not just family members, but like all of the different people that raised us or were involved mm. in raising us might not have been like an auntie, but they were. Mm, <laughs> and, um, you know, being one of five and then yeah. having five children myself yeah. of a very large family. Yeah. And um, just being raised by Jeanette and Kenneth was an interesting experience. And then my sisters and my brother, they all added to that, you know, yeah. interestingness. And um, I'm kind of making up words as I go. <laughs> but um, basically born and raised on the corner of Brockman and Diaz, you know, we were all, you know, raised there in that little area. And then, um, you know, we didn't venture too far. We kind of stayed with our Barlow family yeah. and kind of visited our Jones side of the family here and there. Yeah. But, um, you know, just knowing so many people, you know, that were your friends, your relatives, whatever, growing up here, and then they had children. So, yeah, yeah that's about it. Deep roots. Very. Okay. Monahu, Nani, Ne, Leticia, Gonzalez, Numanu, Paihupoi, Nukimadu. Hello, my name is Leticia Gonzalez. I come from... Payuhunadu or Bishop California as it's called today. I was born and raised here in Bishop California just like my mother. Um, I'm 24 years old and I currently work as SPC site project coordinator here at OVCDC but I think what really brought me to this path in this line of work was really getting involved as a youth and um being a really involved community member um, that was kind of like my pride and joy or like my escape was um, serving my community and so that's kind of like how I would escape my day-to-day life or my life at home because it wasn't I feel like growing up on the reservation like um, it's not always like perfect so you find your outlets either it's good or bad and so I kind of found the good in the bad by helping my community, serving my community, and just really being involved culturally and um, in other ways within our little community of Bishop and here on the reservation as well. Oh, that's great. It sounds like, you know, you're able to find some healthy outlets for some of the things you're going through and 
Yeah, you know, something I'm, I'm getting from both of you is that, you know, your life is pretty shaped around giving back and, and wanting to, you know, continue to carry on traditions in, in the community. And, um, yeah, just, just that piece of, of togetherness and um, supporting one another. So one thing I'm kind of interested in trying to capture today is sort of just looking at um, the way Paihunadu or, or Bishop today has, has changed over time and kind of looking at that from an intergenerational lens. And I'd just be interested in hearing Carrie maybe going, going a little further back, you know, what it was like when you were growing up, like what services were available, and then maybe at some point transitioning over to Leticia and talking about your experience. And then, you know, we also have the lens of like the generation that's that's knocking on the door and that's about to be here. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm just so interested in, in learning more about how this place has changed over time. So I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit, Carrie. And just how Leticia mentioned, I am, you know, her age and her title of, you know, work. I'm 42, yeah. 43. Oops. <laughs> and I'm the Youth Activity Specialist for the Bishop Indian Education Center. Yeah. And previously, I'd worked at Toyabi Indian Health Project as the, with Family Services cool. as the Youth Prevention Worker. And how things have changed, whether growing up here or like from, you know, even with Leticia to my daughters now. Mm. Um, I remember being a youth and feeling comfortable going places and doing things and... I guess, hanging out with my friends mm -hmm. to the point where it was like, okay, you're home at eight o'clock. You don't yeah. go anywhere. It's, there's, you know, strangers before there weren't a lot of people just walking around the res freely yeah. to the point now it's like, oh my God, who is that? Why are yeah. they walking on the reservation? You know, yeah. um, you know, you kind of almost see it as a danger because like you're, you're close and you usually know who's walking by your house, like mm -hmm. all hours of the day and night. Yeah. And before it was like, yeah, people went out and did things and had fun and went to parties, but you came home safe. Yeah. And to now where it's like, no, you're home by 10 o'clock. You're in mm. bed by like, you know, we yeah. typically, you know, phones on the counter eight yeah. just to protect them and give them some downtime. So For that sure. was like how I just decided to parent. And like my mom was pretty strict. If I didn't yeah. come home, she went out looking for me. Oh, yeah. And it was going to be trouble. Yes. And she was not afraid to embarrass me in front of my <laughs> friends. You know, she wanted me home and she wanted to know who I was with, yeah. where I was going, what I'd be doing. Yeah. So that's kind of like how I was raised. And then like the services that were available, I remember mm -hmm. there, um, well, to this day, even if you're to send somebody to a rehab for drug and alcohol prevention mm -hmm. type of um, services, it's out of the area. Yeah. And it's usually like a, like a six hour drive. Yeah. And typically it would be like San Francisco, the friendship yep. house. Wow. I've done that before where I've transported clients and happily to see them get the services they need and then there when they're done and bring them home. Yeah. And so um, the services that were available, yeah, there were behavioral health services, um, probably mm -hmm. a little less. I, I didn't, you know, utilize those services as a youth. Mm -hmm. um, I did get involved with like, they have this youth, um, it was like an AA group, but it was for like... Oh, cool. I'm not sure what they call that. It, Is it the Al-Anon? Al-Anon. Yeah. Yes. Or like el Totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now it's I for remember. like the children of alcoholics. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, and growing up, you know, my, my dad, you know, he did like to drink. Yeah. And, you know, that was kind of our main issue. Mm -hmm. And so that I, I reached out for services for that type of support. But yeah. like I wasn't necessarily needing prevention at that point. Mm -hmm. That came like, you know, when I was like. 
I want to say like 23. Yeah. Um, and I did have like a period of my life where I were because when being a mom at 18, mm-hmm. I um, that was my main focus. And yeah. then after having her brother at like, I believe I was like 21. And then um, after her father and I split or their father and I split. Then I was like, oh, party time. You know, I missed out when I was young. Now I need to, you know, have fun and go out and do things. And um, that went as long as it went. And then I did end up seeking services once, you know, the whole addiction phase was over. And um, I want to say we're like, I always, I struggle with dates. Yeah, me too. You know, anniversaries. But over 10 years sobriety, let's see. So George is what, 13? So 13. Nice. Thanks for sharing. That's really, yeah. that's a great story. And I did seek services. I great. did seek services and um, they were very helpful. There were groups, there were meetings, there were, um, I did not actually go away to rehab. Yeah. I just utilized the meetings that they had cool. at Toyabi yep. and got to where I am now. Uh, that's a great story. Yeah. Is it ever interesting for you, like having been in these systems yourself and then now being in a position where you're like the one referring people to these same services? Do you feel like it gives you more like empathy or more understanding of people who are still kind of living that life right now? I did have to learn that people will not necessarily benefit from the services services until they're ready. Yeah, for sure. Because I was almost like, oh, why didn't that not work for them? It worked for me, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I would have to realize that different people live different lifestyles, have different parenting styles or were given different parenting styles than I was. And they're on a different path. You know, they will get there when they get there and how they get there. And if they're successful, then great. And if they're not, let's try again. Mm. So that's how I went about it. So I'm trying to remember, when did the Toyabi Clinic, when was that built and established? Um, I know I've Googled it before just out of curiosity, but yeah. I cannot remember it off the top of my head. But it was it was during your lifetime. My Aunt Nancy has worked there for, she did like some, she was like one of the first. Yeah. And she's, she did like an anniversary. It was pretty, it was pretty out there. Wow. Like um, years of service. Yeah. And I think they probably even have it on their logo. Yeah. I don't want to say like the wrong date, but it was in the tribal newsletter like this summer. And I want to say 40 years. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm so curious the ways in which that's changed the community because, you know, I think there's, there's a representation piece there. There's a sovereignty piece there and just so many of the services. Services Toyabi is providing right now, especially given the pandemic, feel really relevant. Um, I know like the MAT program has grown a lot in the last few years. Um, Family Services is doing some awesome, awesome work. So yeah, I'm just curious like what Toyabi means to you in terms of um, just having that as a resource. And I guess I was just, I'm curious what it was like for people who were maybe around before Toyabi and what options they had at that point. I think that would probably be like my mother because I remember them saying that they had to go somewhere in, was it Nevada Nevada, to give birth? Fallon maybe? Wow. Yeah, I think that's what it is. That's wild. So for us, we've always had that um, luxury, I guess, of having Mm -hmm. access to healthcare, you know, medical, dental, Mm -hmm. behavioral health. and. I want to say, like, recently they had, like, I want to say probably when I was a mother, they had the WIC services added to Toyabi before you Mm -hmm. had to go to the county for that. Mm -hmm. And so as long as, you know, you're willing to receive services, they are available. Yeah. 
and they um, are constantly, because being a former employee of Toyabi, mm -hmm. constantly training. Yeah. That was one of my key points to moving to the yeah. Ed Center was, you know, a little bit more at home because yeah. I was constantly getting sent to trainings. And while okay. I was blessed to receive that training yeah. and pass it on to the community, which I still use over at the Ed Center. Yeah. And also collaborate with them for workshops yeah. or education or even just answers or questions, mm -hmm. you know, that I might have or the parents might have. Yeah. We work a lot with Toyabi. Yeah. And I always say, like, um, we don't know how fortunate we are to, like, receive all those services at one, like, general location. Mm, yeah, I think them being co-located is really helpful. Yeah. Like, you got your optometrist and dentistry and all that stuff right in the same place. Yeah. So you're not... Yeah. And um, another... She's from a different tribe, but she moved here, and she's like, you guys have such great teeth here, and I never, like, I never knew that you guys can have such great dental services, because where I'm from, we don't have great dental services at our Indian Health Service, and so yeah. I just thought that was kind of funny, because yeah. she's, like, checking out all our teeth. <laughs> <laughs> My mom got me braces. <laughs> she used to be a Toyami employee, too. Oh, perfect. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of a rite of passage. Braces are rough. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then maybe, Carrie, if I could ask you one more question before we move on to Leticia's experience, but I'm just curious what it was like for you going to school here and um, what your education was like and maybe some of the things, you know, if you want to give any shout-outs to parts of your education that were positive and then maybe some things that you thought were lacking in your education. Well, my education was great, and there were great teachers and great relationships with the teachers. It was just how you behaved or how you received those services. Mm. Um, starting at middle school, I decided I wanted to be kind of, I guess, involved in doing whatever I wanted to do when I wanted to do it and how yeah. I wanted to do it. Even though my mom was there the lo along the way to do her best to try to keep me in line, um, nothing too bad, you know. Um, there were... I guess you didn't get in trouble as much for fighting back then. So yeah. um, Home Street Middle School got booted from there. Yeah. Went out to Round Valley. Great relationship with Mr. White, Ralph White. Cool. Um, he's His um, son-in-law is like a major um, part of my kids' basketball um, oh, great. coaching. So met some really great yeah. people out there, students, you know, fellow students, and mm. have great long-lasting relationships. So I'm really glad that I had that experience. My mom made me repeat the eighth grade because I didn't graduate. I wow. could have passed but not graduated. Yeah. It wasn't a grade thing. It was a behavior thing. Okay. So, yeah, my mom decided, you're, you're going to graduate from eighth grade. I don't know why it was such a big deal to her, but it was. So she would drive me out there every day to go to school, catch the bus at Mill Pond, and I'd be wow. out there at Round Valley. Sounds like she was pretty, like she held you to a standard. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I'm like, where did that standard go with my sisters and brother? <laughs> Just kidding, guys. But, Sounds um, familiar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it's this. It's the same uh, repeated pattern that Leticia makes me aware of with my, <laughs> my daughters. But, and it was probably a similar thing with her as it is with me, is it's all a learning experience. Yeah. You were the first time I was a mother. Mm. And... And even to go even deeper with that, you were the first time I mothered you, Carlos, Caitlin, Ashley, George. Yeah. All total different personalities. Yeah. 100%. And I'm sure that's how it was with my mom. Yeah. Either that or I gave her a run for her money and she just threw in the yeah. towel. Were you also <laughs> one of the oldest in your... I am the oldest, okay. yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. So, yeah. This I'm the oldest. She's the oldest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. And so on to Bishop Union High School. Went yeah. there. Got booted. Went to Sherman Indian High School in Riverside. Got booted from there. Okay. Came back. To, went to Palisades. Got booted from there. Yeah. 
Um, I want to say it wasn't called JKBS. It was like continuation school. Yeah. Got my GED and then I was done. That was my educational experience and I made it what it was because the teachers were great. The educational experience was great. It was decisions I made and it was usually around um, altercations with other students. That's so interesting. So it sounds like, I mean, and now you ending up kind of within the field of education um, or at least close to the field of education, like... I wonder how that's kind of informed your approach or like it, it just seems I, like have you ever had this thought where like if you as you are right now could go back in time and like see your high school self on the street and like grab you by the shoulders and like tell you something like oh, what, no, what would you have told yourself? Yeah, I do it with um, some of the students that I work with and yeah. I see them having altercations totally. or, you know, issues and I'm like, enjoy this. Enjoy this experience. Do not yeah. allow disagreements to become like a major part of your history or even the amount of trouble that you're going to get into for being in an altercation. Mm. It was a little less probation-y when I was growing up. So Mm. I I did not get involved with like the juvenile system and with my, um, with my adult, um, lifestyle with the addiction phase, I didn't get in trouble with like, um, the thank goodness for my husband (laughs) and the choices he made and you know basically put his um self out there for me to put a stop to me being involved in the justice system he was like put it on me it wasn't her it was me yeah and i will agree to basically 10 years if i don't successfully complete the drug court system so i did not i do not have a criminal record so yeah thank goodness oh that's great (laughs) Yeah, and like going to all those different schools, and it sounds like traveling a lot in that process, mm-hmm. like that. I feel like that. I picked up a lot along the way. Yeah. And I have a lot of respect for the teachers and the educators, and yeah. I got along with um, the adults in my life that gave me some type of insight. I, you know, I, I carry yeah. a lot of that with me. I have a really great relationship still to this day with my um, teacher from Round Valley, Mr. Cool. White. Amazing Shout out person. Mr. White. Yeah, that's so interesting. And hearing you talk about it now, even just like the tone you're using, it sounds like even the hard parts, like you've taken the positive out of that Mm -hmm. and you've been able to flip that and recognize like, yeah, you know, there were times when I was out of line or something, but it's, it's all learning experience and it's all brought me to where I am now. So, and it was on me. There were choices that I made. Yeah. Yeah. The accountability and responsibility piece. That's awesome. I hope I, I'm, I'm still on my path to get to accepting some of the, the bad decisions I've made, but yeah, I think that's really admirable and really cool. So yeah, moving over to you, Leticia, um, maybe you could just talk about, I know you shared earlier that like, you know, you had a lot of cultural outlets and a lot of good programs as a youth that helped kind of um, sculpt who you are today. And I wonder if you could kind of go over some of those programs that sort of changed the course of your life a little bit and were a positive thing for you. Yeah. Um, So I was born and raised here, went through the Bishop school system, and I was always involved with NASA or the different youth groups and then youth council, of course. So NASA was really a really awesome outlet and the Native American liaisons who um, kind of facilitate and run that were really a big factor in my education and going throughout the school system. So there's a elementary school liaison, middle school liaison, high school liaison, and each one of those um, throughout my lifetime really helped me and kept me on track educationally. And then there was the NASA club. So that was like 
um, one of the clubs at the schools, and that really helped keep me involved. So that was um, a good outlet for me, too, because I like to be involved. But um, at school, I wasn't probably, like, the smartest kid. But when you're involved, you're like, okay, I got to, like— pass my classes so I can stay involved in these groups. So mm. that really like helped keep me on track educationally as well. Yeah. Do you know if the liaison thing is something that happens a lot of other places as well? Or if it's something that's like fairly unique? I feel like it is pretty unique to like our specific like district. Yeah. But I know that there are mm-hmm. other like tribal yeah. like Advisors? Yeah, advisors within school systems because one of my friends from Arizona, (laughs) I have like friends all over the country because I've traveled through Unity, um, another organization that I was involved in Mm -hmm. um, later on in life through Youth Council. But um, yeah, so he is um, an advisor at the Phoenix School District, I think it is. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm kind of curious about what it is they do and, and, you know, what ways they showed up for you and advocated for you. Like, what what did they do that helped you out the most? So the I, think, I think, like, checking in, like, they'll check on their students' grades and then check in with their students, like, bring them in one-on-one and, like, kind of just see, like, what's going on with your grades. Or they'll just, like, be there to talk, like, one-on-one, like, mm. what's going on at home yeah. and like really kind of like help you in those types of ways. That's great. Yeah. You know, and I wonder, cause I've seen some of the numbers on it and it's, it's pretty striking just how much more native youth are suspended and expelled than other demographics. Like I think for the expulsion, it's, it's over three times as much, you know, and um, suspension it's, it's kind of similar levels. And, Do you think that that's a position that kind of helps mitigate some of that? Like rather than it's like, okay, here's someone who is in the school authority system, who comes from where I come from, who kind of gets my values, who knows people in my community. Like, do you think that helps with that side of things? I think it does because I know just like personally being in the classroom as a student and another one of my classmates that I know, like I would know what was going on, like behind like within their lives at home not at school and they're acting out in the classroom the teacher would like reprimand them and then um instead of sending them to the principal they would send them to the liaison like to get their work done and so like maybe that could like calm that student down to like go see the liaison instead of going right to the yeah administration Yeah. And to me, that really speaks to such an important part of trauma informed care, right? Of like, if you can understand someone on a deeper level and know what they've been through, know their family environment, some of the things they've experienced, like their behavior suddenly starts to make sense. You Mm -hmm. know, like every behavior is an expression of a need. And that kid who's acting out, they're not necessarily just acting out just because they want to be disruptive. It's more like, you know, they, they are trying to satisfy some unmet need in their life. So how can we meet that need? How can we involve the other supportive figures? Um, the other 
positive role models in the community to help come to a solution. And, and I think that's something that's really missing in the current school system is like, it's so fragmented. It's like, we're just going to look at this one small piece of the pie, which is like you in school and how you act in school. And also like, I feel like a lot of times teachers just take it personally too. Yeah. It's like, why are you, why are you treating me like this? Why are you acting out? Why are you doing this and that? And it's like, maybe it doesn't really have to do with you that much. Maybe it has to do with what this kid has been through. And, um, that's just, that's just some thoughts I have about like the holistic part of school that I sometimes feel like is missing. Like Mm -hmm. the, all the context from people's early life and people's life when they're not in school. Yeah. And rant, but (laughs) yeah, just curious if you could talk a little bit more about some of those other programs. I know you mentioned NASA and mentioned unity. Maybe if you could just share a few highlights and Um, So I was involved with the youth council after 2011. I had just graduated from eighth grade and I went on a a unity trip with the tribal TANF because we were a tribal TANF family at the time. And so I got invited to go and I went and I really loved unity. That was like my first ever like trip um, out of like state I guess you'd say like Uh I've been to Nevada like outlying states but I've never been like flown like elsewhere first time on a plane yeah first time on a plane and so I went because um, my mom kind of encouraged me to and our case counselor encouraged me to and I knew like some of the kids that were going my cousins and they were involved with youth council so I was like why not check it out and so we went to unity Unity stands for United National Indian Tribal Youth. And I was kind of just like blown away at how awesome it was. Like it was leadership development. Um, there was, I was a total Twilight fan <laughs> when I was a like, young teen. <laughs> and um, there was an actor from Twilight. He's like the leader of the wolf pack. I forgot what his name is. Chaske Spencer. Yeah, Chaske Spencer. <laughs> he was there. And um, so I was also growing up really into cheerleading. And so um, dance and all that was like a really good outlet for me as well. And um, we were a part of a little dance group that was going to do like a little dance number with the whole conference. And so since we got to like learn the dance and teach it to everyone else at the conference, um, we got to dance with Chaske Spencer. No way. (laughs) She'll have to show you the videos on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) And so that was like the highlight of the whole conference for me. Like I was fan girling my cousins were all making fun of me because all my cousins of your whole life. yeah and because she was like had a like a you know dance history they placed her next to him so what? like yeah <laughs> yeah anyway whenever my unity friends like find that video they like share it all over the internet but um yeah so that was like the highlight of my whole like preteen <laughs> life leading up to high school. And so I went to Unity, got to go to, um, where was it held? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Cool. And um, I've attended Unity ever since, except mm-hmm. for this year, I didn't get to go. But um, yeah, so I'd just been really involved with Unity because it was just an amazing outlet for a native youth that comes from a small rural area. Mm. And I had no idea, like my eyes were open um, attending like a native youth conference with like native youth from all over the country. So it was like a really like big experience for me. Cool. Yeah. Wow. 
I mean, first off, I, I had it in my show notes that we were going to try and get some embarrassing stories about you growing up. And um, <laughs> thank you for, for serving that one up. I, re- I really appreciate it. Um, I just love the image of you dancing with one of the Twilight heartthrobs. It was a Beyonce song, too. <laughs> it just gets better. It wow. does. <laughs> okay, I'll try and uh, link the video in the show notes or something. But, um, yeah, and then secondly... Just hearing you talk about that and kind of watching your eyes light up a little bit, can you can you just describe the feeling of what it was like for you to be in the room with all these other indigenous leaders and youth who are kind of, was it mostly people your age? Um, so it was like 14 to 24. Okay, cool. So it's like um, a wide variety of ages, but you're considered a native youth through the organization and through a lot of um Native organizations until the age of 24, yeah. which I just reached this year. Oh, no. <laughs> Timed out. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it was just amazing. Like, you are in a huge hotel convention center, and when you wake up in the morning, like, you're passing all these different Native youth. Like, you've never seen, like, these many Natives in one area unless, like, you're at a powwow or, like... yeah maybe a casino, (laughs) probably not even that, but, um, you're just passing all these different native youth heading into the conference room. And, um, it's really awesome because when you first head into the conference room, the executive committee, but I think at the time they were called like members at large at my first conference. Um, so they're like heading the show cause it's youth ran. And so like they're at the door cheering you on. So you're like getting cheered on, like right when you're waking up at like eight in the morning, like heading into the conference, there's a DJ there, um, MC one. <laughs> he's a really good friend of ours now really and cool. he's playing music like first thing in the morning. And so you like sit down and there's like a big stage and like, then like the co um, presidents get on stage, welcome you in the morning. And then you like, do different things throughout the day, like workshops and um, listen to the different keynote speakers. And so, yeah, it's cool. a room packed of like thousands um, of native youth. Wow. And you get to experience the whole week. With yeah. Them. And is the vibe kind of like celebratory? Are people, oh, yeah. it's like pretty, people are pretty hyped up. Yeah, and, definitely. Okay. That sounds like a really great event. And did they kind of, they shuttered it because of COVID, and is it going to happen again, or is it going to go virtual? So we held a virtual conference in 2020, and then Great. 2021 was um, in person. Awesome. Like a hybrid in person. Texas. Oh, yeah. Texas, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the youth council there. got to go with my mom. She's the advisor oh, cool. of the youth council. <laughs> oh, great. How many people went? So we took our officers because we were trying to limit the amount of, um, we would typically like to take all members. And at the time, we really just have about eight members. Yeah. And the three that didn't go were a little younger. Um, the ones that we took were, I want to say, between 13 and 16. Mm-hmm. And 14 is basically like, you know, the recommended age. But they don't mind us bringing youth that are grades 6 through 12 because that's where we run our youth council age. Yeah. And I first became involved as like a parent volunteer chaperone. Yep. Yep. And um, I was fortunate to be asked every single year. I would use my vacation time and I would go. And... Um, of course, you know, it's there. There's it's a little bit of a budget wise with it because you have yeah. to pay for all of these um, advisors and youth to go mm, yeah. with their flight, their hotel, their yeah. per diem, their three hundred dollar registration, two hundred and fifty if you could get an early bird, you know. Wow. Yeah. So there's a little bit of funding that goes into it. Yeah. And it is 
definitely worth it to mm-hmm. me and to the youth that attend. And we raise leaders through that program. Sounds like it. There are some amazing youth that are doing amazing things that mm-hmm. have been involved with Unity and the leadership trainings that they've received yeah. and also just the direction and the experience yeah. as well as the connections that they make. Really cool. And yeah, I feel like when you're in that environment, you can feed off each other, you know, and you see someone your age kind of doing it at a certain level. It's like, wow, like I know I've had experiences like that in my life where it's just opened my eyes to like, I just didn't know that level existed until you see someone doing it. And then it's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's, it's something you can take home with you to your respective, you know, homelands. And they do advisor trainings. So the adults that are involved go to a separate training while the youth go to their, um, what do they call them? like their breakout sessions or their trainings or their workshops. Yeah. They go to like their different regions, like for California, Hawaii would be the Pacific region. And so they go to their separate group from youth that are from California and, you know, sometimes Hawaii, (laughs) there'll be a few youth that'll show up, but um, typically it's California youth and it's a big one because as you know, there's a lot of tribes in California. And so when um, I was on the executive committee for Unity, I served as the Pacific Regional Representative. Twice. And so we'd have these breakout sessions. <laughs> and um, so there's 12 regions involved with Unity. And yeah. so you'd go to your um, regional caucus meetings. And so that's when you got to meet with the youth within your region. Oh, cool. Yeah. And do they ever have, like, the Minnesota youth are going to play the California youth in kickball type of thing? Or is <laughs> no, that... but there is a basketball tournament oh, that Unity great. holds, so that was pretty fun. Yeah. That's really cool. I think they got, um, like, awarded, like, really cool jerseys nice. and, like, basketball shorts yeah. for winning and stuff. So it's a big deal, the three-on-three at Unity. That's awesome. Yeah, kind of a tangent, but I've that's something I've always noticed is, like, the native affinity for basketball. I really grew up playing basketball and love basketball as well and it's cool to see all this um media about native youth playing basketball coming out i heard lebron is like executive producing a new movie that's about native youth playing basketball and there's that documentary on netflix res ball and um i I just think it's cool that that's something that's kind of growing and growing stronger oh yeah it's a huge outlet for native youth basketball is my cousins played in like different res ball tournaments and my mom would take them and they just have a lot of fun and they love it they love basketball such (laughs) a good outlet if you're someone who's a little more competitive and aggressive too yeah and i think this kind of brings me to the next thing i was hoping to talk about you know just hearing you speak to how productive these outlets were and you know, having these things you can go to and, and lean on for just just as support to get through hard times. Just thinking about the context of the pandemic and how that kind of took a lot of people away from their typical outlets that helped them get through adversity, get through challenges in their life. Um, I was just wondering if either you could speak to sort of how, how your family did with the pandemic, A, and then B, like what you're seeing in the community at large. Um, well, I think that we were like really blessed throughout the pandemic, like having each other to rely on because my grandma's house, my mother's house was right next door and then my mom's house. And, um, we all kind of just like stayed together, like as one household, I guess you'd say. And kind of just like, yeah, relied on each other and helped each other through it. And, you know, it was a tough, like uncertain times, but we really made it out and 
saw the light at the end of the tunnel because we had each other to rely on and we had like fun things to do like the kids all kept us entertained and we also like participated in different like virtual events like we took a lot of the language classes that were offered virtually um a lot of like family gonas that were online so that's kind of like how we coped in like hung in there because we are used to as a family used to traveling like for tournaments my mom would go with my cousins like I said or conferences and trainings for work we were used to like going out of town probably every other weekend and so when that was kind of put to a halt we were like okay what do we do yeah (laughs) yeah had to adapt so like for my daughters well we were also actually pretty fortunate to be still working virtually at home and we set up like desks and laptops and here's my office space respect my office place space <laughs> here's your school space this is where you you need to keep this yeah you know i encourage them to decorate and paint and cool. clean and organize so that they enjoyed the space that they had because we were keeping them home we were yeah. keeping them safe yeah um, we did the face masks, hand sanitizers, limited going out. Yeah. And if we thought we had some type of an exposure, mm-hmm. we would, you know, stay home. We wouldn't go anywhere. We'd order online. So just having the resources available, the income still coming in, yeah. um, the tribal supportive services. Awesome. We utilized the services that were available and um, enjoyed being able to do so. And the other programs that I work with with Native youth, such Mm -hmm. as We Are Native, um, it's through North Portland Area Indian Health Board. Nice. And I got our youth involved in some online conferences, and they were able to um, work with some amazing Native American artists, um, you know, whether it was art or different workshops with recording and poetry and so they were busy they were like having a, great. Um, as great of a time as you can being on lockdown yeah and um you know i i went through like um i made sure i put little cameras because you weren't sure you know what was going on were yeah. you going to be safe you know yeah. um so just being safety and like you know health care and keeping the elders safe the children safe and ourselves safe yeah and we also got to participate in um, different PSAs for our community so um, I know Tazba Chavez um, came and filmed us for uh, wear your mask I think like social distance kind of like PSA that she did through California Rural Indian Health Board and so we got to be a part of that and that was really awesome yeah that was a great video Wow, she's so talented. Yeah, Ashley was in her movie too, My Little Girl. Oh, really? Yeah, That's awesome. she actually um, went and got herself ready. I was coming home from a training in Sacramento. Yeah. And I came home in that morning. She's like, Mom, wake up. I need you to take me to the cultural center. They're doing um, auditions. Yeah. And she was um, accepted as like Tazba's cousin. Nice. But then when they saw her, they're like, No, this is Tazba. So she played a little Tazba. Oh, wow. Oh, that's... <laughs> she got to do a black carpet in um, Los Angeles, the LACMA. That's so cool. Yeah, so she got to do wow. a, um, a premiere. It was really amazing and a great experience for her. Wow. Did that kind of... Do you think she's interested in being in that film space more now, or is it... Um, any opportunity these kids get, they take. Um, yeah, you sounds know, like it. They just, you know, whether it's me or they heard about it and they're like, Mom, can you take me? I want to do this. Mm-hmm. 
and I try to do as much as I can um, mm-hmm. with them just so that, you know, I'm keeping them on the right path. Yeah. And involved and happy and healthy and, mm-hmm. you know, just have these amazing experiences. Yeah. And it was really interesting. I went to a thing Toyabi put on. It was a talk that Tazba gave. And, you know, she was just speaking on, like, the film stuff almost just kind of fell into her lap by happenstance, like, just a coincidence, you know. And she was on a totally different track, like, you know, was going to do something related to beauty products, I think. And then now is, like, you know, super big time and able to be able to tell these stories on these massive platforms. And I just think it's so cool that someone from this, you know, really small town is now having this like influence on this this bigger stage when i dropped my son off at college in santa fe just recently um i met up with tazba's mom and grabbed some stuff from her to bring back to bishop to her grandson so just having great connections and great relationships because if you have those connections you could travel throughout the united states and have your like you know connections and friends and family yeah Wow, that's awesome. It sounds like everyone in the family is really involved with all these different programs. Um, And, you know, I'm kind of curious, like, to me, that seems almost a little atypical for here. Like, I I think a lot of kids don't maybe take as much advantage or aren't quite as active or maybe don't have the means or whatever the case may be. I think that's something I hear a lot is that there's not that much for youth to do here. Do you all think that that's not true or do you think that it's like it's maybe a question of just plugging people in with resources or if it's like a an opportunity privilege thing or so like working at Toyabi and working at the Bishop Paiute tribe there's yeah. the, we're like hey we need 10 youth come join yeah. we're like knocking on doors yeah, we're yeah. putting it on social media we're you know doing it over the radio station yeah through the youth that go to the education center, mm-hmm. going over and doing workshops and presentations at JKBS, Keith Bright, Home Street Middle School, and BUHS. The kids are very busy. Yeah. They have, you know, high school sports. They yeah. have curricular, like, um, extracurricular, like, whether yeah. it's educational yeah. activities that they do. The kids are very, I feel fortunate in this area because they That's have Toyabi Youth Prevention. Yep. They have family formation. They have the Bishop Ed Center, the Youth Council, the TANF Youth Prevention work. Yep. So um, I guess you just choose what you're interested in and yeah. go for it. Yeah. Um, some kids aren't comfortable with traveling. Yeah. Especially in these times. Yep. But like we have a couple of youth that maybe weren't on a good path, mm. but decided, you know, hey, I'm gonna be part of this group, and then it yeah. really got them in a place where they enjoy being. Um, when, um, say like. Jerry Bruno asked us to do some advertisement for the census, Native yeah. Youth Census. We asked if anybody wanted to go. Nobody wanted to go. So we took Isaac and we took Caitlin. Yeah. But, you know, it's all just, you know, it has a lot to do with um, just wanting to be involved or yeah. wanting to travel or wanting to be, you know, the featured. Yeah. And if you have the time, are yep. you not traveling for softball? Are you not traveling yeah. for basketball or, you yeah. know, cheer? So. The kids do get involved with a lot of different sports programs, and that's great. And so you, we try to work around it. But if, you know, there's like, hey, this is on this date, you kind of have to go. Yeah. And I feel like there is a lot of positive outlets, like my mom just named off, like, quite a few. Yeah. But um, what maybe what's missing is just, like, bridging the gap. Like, I know mm. when I was involved with Youth Council in the early days, um, 
probation would like recommend kids to join youth council. Oh, cool. And so, but that was back when we had like our own youth center mm-hmm. and it was where the radio station and the wellness center is now. That yeah. was like our like hangout spot, I guess. And so it was more like attractive, I guess, for youth mm. to go and they had like a little safe spot to go on that Sunday when we'd yeah. have youth council meetings. And so maybe that's something we can do is just like bridge the gap between the services that's out great. there. Yeah. Yeah. I think anyone who ever says there's not enough for kids to do in this town, I should just play that 20 second clip of Carrie, like rattling <laughs> off, you know, at least 30 things that kids can do. But yeah. Um, I think this conversation leads me to the next topic that I was hoping to talk about, and we've already kind of touched on it to some degree, but just this idea of risk and protective factors. And, you know, this is something I think about a lot, kind of this balance. And a lot of this stuff is is derived from data, from, you know, looking at families that have been in poverty, that have gone through a lot of hardship and, and what was able to uplift them out of that. And what kind of the results in the science show is that, Um, you can have a ton of adversity, but as long as you have protective factors, you can get through a lot and it's, it's really linked with a lot of positive outcomes. So just to provide a little example, um, of a risk and protective factor, if you are a smoker, that is a risk factor for having a heart attack. So then if you walk two miles a day, that would be a protective factor. Um, so just this idea of like, you know, these things exist on different levels, right? Like we all have these as individuals, we all have these as families, but then like communities as a whole. And I was wondering, you know, if you all could kind of speak to risk and protective factors just in terms of the community in general and, um, you know, what you see as being some of the larger challenges of the community and what do you see as some things to buffer against that? Um, I think, um, a little like light bulb went off in my head when you're speaking to that. Um, I think I would kind of be like the poster child for risk factors and protective factors because I grew up in a home that had addiction, substance abuse, like, you know, I could go on and there's other youth that had the same thing going on, but look at the path that I chose to go on and then the path that they were on. And I had um, a really good friend growing up and we kind of were raised in similar situations. We were both raised like um, by our grandmothers and our parents suffered from addiction. And she would always say like, I can't do this or I can't do that because of my family like Mm. I don't have like that support I guess you could say but we all had the same um like preventative factors like we went to the youth council together we all had the same like Native American liaisons um Mm -hmm. she probably even did a little bit better in school than I did yeah but um at the end of the day um she just didn't choose to take advantage of those preventive factors and I did and so that's why we're kind of on different paths in life today. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is something that people have kind of been scratching their heads over for a long time and scientists are having a lot of trouble understanding it because it's really complicated and there's all these kind of overlapping factors and issues, but it's like, you know, I think we can all think of people in our lives who had really tough circumstances and then turned out really great. And then on the flip side, people who had really great circumstances and kind of, you know, straight off the path at some point. And it's tricky figuring out exactly the why, but one of the, the most 
the most substantiated answer right now is that it has to do with your childhood, and then it has to do with your exposure to risk and protective factors. And um, one of the things that they um, have found is they, they've kind of distilled it down, um, and they being um, science, I guess, but <laughs> what the scientists have come up with is that there's these five protective factors, and um, this is a framework I thought was kind of interesting. This was adopted by HHS uh, in the early 2000s, and it's kind of a model that they put a lot of stock in. I know that HHS out here uses it. And the, the research is from CSSP, for those who are research nerds out there. Um, but they kind of have this tool with the five fingers to help you remember what the five protective factors are. And again, what they did with this is they studied all these families, uh, families who are often growing up with difficult environmental conditions, um, with community violence, with racism, discrimination, pollution, like everything, you know, the whole gamut of challenges. And the five things that they found helped people kind of uplift and, um, you know, break through those barriers were social and emotional competence of children. And so that's remembered with the thumbs up as in like, yes, I'm socially and emotionally competent. And then the index finger is knowledge of parenting and child care development. Uh, the middle finger is social connections because I guess if you're using your middle finger, you're not being good at <laughs> forming social connections. And then the ring finger is a commitment, so that's a commitment to parental resilience, and then the pinky is concrete supports in times of need. So one more time, those five are social and emotional competence of children, knowledge of parenting and child development, social connections, parental resilience, concrete support in times of need. So those are the five, and I was just wondering if um, anything jumped out to you all uh, in terms of those five, and um, yeah, let's start there. So for us, um, it wasn't just our parents raising us. We had our grandparents, we had our aunties, um, uncles. There was always somebody there for us. So we had good, I guess like a family yeah. support system. Yeah, You could always go to... Auntie Peggy or Auntie Nancy, Auntie Bonnie, whoever, one of them was like a like a second mother. Yeah. Um, so if I couldn't talk to my mom about it or if I felt I couldn't, which I probably could have, because <laughs> she was pretty she was pretty understanding. Yeah. Um, it's just that, you know, there was always somebody, even like just an adult, like, you know, yeah. support. And that's in the research, too, is that so often there's, like, one adult who's not the parent, mm -hmm. who's just, like, a positive influence, who the child feels like they trust and they can talk to. Mm -hmm. And just having that in this community for all of us was just always, like, a big, you always felt like you had yeah. somebody. Yeah, that's, I feel like that's come up a couple times, you know, and this is something I think about, too, like, the difference between just being raised, like, strictly by your parents versus, like, very much this more communal model where there's aunties and uncles and just friends and it's like it's just much more of a collaborative effort rather than it's like just comes down to one or two people mm -hmm. um how, how do you think that model kind of influenced the way you grew up leticia um i think just um hearing my mom talk a little bit about that for me it was um the different male role models or like mm -hmm. workers within because I kind of like grew up not without a father but my father was like distant 
mm. um, most of my life because he was incarcerated. And so I would look for those male role models within the community. And so um, when I went on my first unity trip, um, he had passed away, but um, Chase Tig, he worked here at the TANF office and um, he was a positive male role model for me in my life because he was a youth worker. Mm. And so he would always like pick us up and take us to do different like cultural activities through TANF. And um, he took me to my first unity conference, my second unity conference. And so it was really important for me to find that male role model because I was like missing that within my life. And then um, Earl Lent, he was like one of those for yeah. me as well. And then he went on to be my supervisor when yeah. I worked at TANF, really <laughs> or not cool. TANF, Toyabi, sorry. And um, Brian Poncho as well, like he worked at the Bishop Indian Education Center. And so just like those different like mm. male role models kind of like helped shape me kind of like into a woman, because as a girl, you still need a father figure in yeah. your life. Like I know a lot of people stress that for boys, but also as a girl. Really cool. Yeah. Shout out Chase. Shout out Earl. Shout <laughs> out Brian. Well, they kind of showed her like how a woman should be treated and respected in yeah. a good way. Yeah. Um, and also just that they were valuable and their opinions are valuable and culture was valuable and yeah. involvement. Yeah, really cool. Yeah. It's, it, I was reading this thing the other day about how, you know, so much of our brain development and the person we become later in life happens when we're zero to five, when we're not really even that consciously aware or don't have very reliable memories. You know, that's when so much of who we're becoming later in life is built. And kind of just based on our environment, we're picking up all these things all the time. And, you know, children have these giant brains and are making all these connections and kind of developing this code book that they use to interpret the world. And something I was reading is like, even if you're a kid and you don't remember it, you could have had a bad experience with a man who had short brown hair. And maybe he was like, loud and hostile and, and made a scene in your home. And even though you might not remember it, that experience for the rest of your life might make you like not trust men with short brown hair. Mm -hmm. Or like when you see men with short brown hair, you're like immediately triggered. And what you saying that just made me think of this because like, you know, if you didn't have that father figure around and you didn't have those positive role models, like the people you listed, you know, that might still be the case of like, you know, men are, are this, or they can't be trusted. But, you know, through these programs, you're able to have these people in your life who showed you like a different, different yeah. way of being a man. And it sounds like that was a positive thing. Definitely. And then even when she speaks on her dad not being there because he had to be somewhere else, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, there was still like a good relationship. Like we weren't good together yeah. because it was a young relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you're still a good dad and I'm still a good mom yeah. and we're still going to parent these kids together. Yeah. And when he came home, he thanked my husband for filling in in yeah. the way, like being there, being, you know, a little stricter dad, but like, you know, yeah. still being supportive and making sure she had like, you know, her softball equipment yeah. or her involvement in the community cool. or, you know, food and bills and, yeah. you know, things taken care of that, you know, he wasn't able to be there, but somebody was. Yeah. So that more communal model again. And to this day, like they still have that, that you know, father yeah. to father respect. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Another thing too, that like I didn't mention with the um, protective factors is these kids had each other. 
Yeah. Um, Leticia made sure they like even like when you know she was a young adult, she would make sure they got to places, went to things, were involved. Um, you know, if she had a vehicle and I, yeah, you know, needed her to go run and pick them up, yeah. she did that. You know, or like you know, she helped with since they were babies. You know, she <laughs> would change their diapers or feed them or babysit them. So she was always like an amazing big sister. Yeah. And so like. You know, you spoke of the three generations, me, her, and the soon-to-be grandson. Yeah. Um, I know she's going to be amazing, at, you know, because she's always been involved with the youth. She's yeah. always been a good cousin. She's always been a good sister. Yeah. And so, you know, these kids have each other out here, too, to yeah. be like, you know, um, if, our, if we could take care of each other, we're going to be all right. Yeah. They are very resilient. Yeah. They may have been through a lot, but, you know, kids in the community, they are very strong. Yeah. They know where they could go if they want the help. Yep. And so just, you know, knowing that, like, our community and our community members are supportive towards each other. Yeah. Then that's, like, a major strength. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting, the family thing. What What was the joke you were telling today about how you were, like, you know, you can look you up in the directory and you're listed as, like, the... I just said, um, oh, my mom jokes that I'm the tribal babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> Because I would babysit, like, for different families in our community <laughs> yeah. and babysit my own cousins and siblings. Yep. Yeah. So it sounds like you've been kind of in that space for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever tried to Google her? Uh, so, ooh, I'm glad we got to this. Uh, something happened. I forget why I was Googling you. It was totally non-creepy, benign reasons. But I think what came up was the story about you and your high school graduation. Yeah. Which I was hoping we would maybe touch on that, um, <laughs> which I thought was such a cool story. And then it kind of, you know, sent me spinning off on this rabbit hole of like, there's other stories that are similar to this one, yeah. right? Of people who have encountered the same thing. And I think it was a story that even surfaced again in the news. I mm -hmm. think I remember we had the, you know, the National Native News on and they talked about it again this year. So yeah. do you mind just like giving the, the quick little oh, version yeah. of that story? <laughs> so I graduated high school in 2015 and um, it was never really like a known rule. I don't think like I remember seeing past um like graduates having a beaded cap, but my ma uh, um, had beaded my cap for me because that's kind of like an honor receiving some, like a beaded honor or beaded uh, item is an honor. And so um, I know for like our family, it's a big honor to graduate from Bishop Union High School. I think I was our first in our um, immediate family to have graduated from Bishop Union High School. So it was a really big thing for her to beat a cap for me. And um, I was just really looking forward to it because I love representing my culture and who I am. And so we went ahead and beaded um, my cap in like a month leading up to graduation. We were told like, oh, that's not allowed. And we were like, what? No, like we already have it beaded. What are we supposed to do? And um, so we kind of had to like, my mom could jump into because she was like a big part of it too. We kind of had to reach out to our California Indian Legal Services um, and different like outlets to kind of like fight for our right to wear yeah. our cultural items to our graduation ceremony. And it wasn't like I didn't take the appropriate steps. I did, you know, I went to the yeah. principal, the vice principal, the guidance counselor, the, yeah. um, I, even spoke to like the um oh god what do they call them like the district 
superintendent. There you go. So it wasn't like I just, you know, jumped the steps and went straight to CILS. You know, that was something that we went through just, hey, what else can we do? I mean, we've gone here, we've gone there. And also just, you know, knowing different people in Indian country, um, there was, um, I guess, a tribal chairman, Willie Carrillo. Yeah. And he also was um, in charge of the California Indian Education Association. So mm-hmm. he also wrote a letter in support to why she Great. should be able to or why a Native student should be able to. And we're yeah. not saying just Leticia. Yeah. No, it's a much um, bigger issue. To the, th- to the point where I was like, okay, I don't want this to interfere with your graduation. Is it stressing you out? Because there was some negativity received, you know, even with our own tribal community. And um, so, you know, it was just like, why are you making this such a big deal? You know, it's not that big of a deal. There were like two other students also that had already had a beaded cap. And we were getting ready to graduate like weeks away. Yeah. And so we were trying to like not only fight for our right to wear it to our graduation ceremony that's weeks out, but also like my mom had uh, said like, I have five other, I have four other kids that are coming through the school system. Like this isn't going to get laid to rest if you just say no to her this year. Like the we next year's like <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we were just looking to um, fight for our right as the indigenous people of this community to um, be able to honor our native students in an appropriate way that represents our culture. What did it feel like to kind of be in the center of this controversy? Um, I think it was like my mom said, like, are you getting stressed out? It was kind of stressful, but at the same time, like, um, I think that's where I really found my voice for advocacy because um, I was like, no, I'm not going to, like, let this die down and let, like, other people that are talking down on us for standing up for this, like, get the satisfaction, like, oh, they were just in it for themselves. Like, we need to fight for this right um, for our future students to be able to get honored by, like, our tribal communities and their families personally. Yeah. Really cool. It, it sounds like um, some of your leadership training paid off there. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. I like what you said too about like this isn't just about me. This is a this is a broader issue of like you not respecting my culture, my heritage, my expression of that. And I'm I'm trying to remember the timeline now because I don't have this in my notes. But so there was there was the incident here. And maybe there's a tangent, but I'm also really curious what the rationale against wearing the beaded cap is, like what the argument against well, it is. Well, our specific school, the principal then, he kind of just said like, oh, we want it to be um, a traditional graduation. And we're like, okay, cool. We want it to be a traditional graduation <laughs> also. And we want to be able that. to wear our beaded caps and our beaded feathers and like what other, whatever other cultural items we choose to represent, like our tribes. Different traditions, yeah. but still traditional. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> well, so also not to like stand out or single yeah. out, you know, okay. one student. Yeah. And for, I guess, um, And I hate to be like, and I'm trying to word this just right, you know, and I'm not trying to be like, oh, they're racist. They just didn't allow us to, you know, that's not what I'm saying. So a lot of things have to be district approved. And for culture and tradition to be district approved, that's just not, that didn't sit well with me. Yeah. Because, um, you know, we don't get to be approved by anybody to be indigenous. We just are, you know, and that's who we were born into. That's who, you know, and, you know, whether we choose to say indigenous or native American or 
Noom or Paiute, whatever yeah. we decide to, you know, say that this is where I belong. Yeah. That's not something we woke up and chose to be. That's something yeah. we are. We were born into. We were, you know, yeah. we were blessed. Yeah. But like for my mom, you know, she wasn't very, um, you know, we weren't very well off. So when, yeah. some, when you gift somebody, we can't just give you a car. We're not going to give yeah. you a hundred bucks. Yeah. She gave something that was a gift that she learned, which was yeah. she was able to beat amazingly. Yeah. And, um, you know, she did so in the school colors, too. She used blue and yeah. white, you know, and it wasn't like, you know, yeah, out, it wasn't like, you know, over the top. It was it was very, like, yeah, delicate and totally understated even, but tasteful. like very tasteful. And so, you know, um, I guess, you know, just with, you know, reaching out or, you know, putting it on social media and people sharing it. Indian Country Today Media News, um, one of the yeah. editors, um, Vincent Schilling, cool. he was um, able to be brought to aware of it. I want to say Tazba's mom, Valerie, who was um, basically in charge of Indian Country Today Media News, yep. let him know that, hey, you needed to put a story on this. And, oh, he called them every single day, 10 times a day, the oh, district, the principal, great. did an article, let them respond to the article, and then, you know. Yeah. Now we're good. Got it out there on the national stage. And Unfortunately. And I know, like, now today, too, like, they are, and it's, like, a proud feeling that the youth are allowed to wear their graduation caps yeah. to their graduation ceremonies, but they do kind of have to go through a process to where they get their, like, design and colors and everything approved. So yeah. that kind of just really doesn't sit right with me yeah. either, but I am still glad they do get to do that. Yeah. So, like, some momentum in the right direction, yeah. but it's still problematic. And yeah. <laughs> You know, in a way, it still teaches them to, you know, um, respect authority and timelines mm, and, you know, yeah. getting things approved. But from, like, a cultural standpoint, like, they don't understand, like, the, like, our colors. Like, what do the colors mean to us, like, traditionally? Yeah. Or what does the design mean to us? Like, or is it a basket artist. design? Yeah. And so they kind of, it's like, it's kind of controversial, I think. Yeah. Like, personally, but... That stuff I, gets still, weird. It's yeah. like who gets to be the police of what's like, acceptable. Made, yeah, like what real authority do you have yeah. to like approve something like that? But, you know, then again, yeah. I want to work well with the school district. So yeah. you kind of, it's like a certain little give and take. Totally. Yeah. A delicate dance. Mm -hmm. And then, so there was a similar incident in Arizona, right? Was that before or after you where there was another, I think it was a young man, right? Was graduating and wanted to have a beaded cap and they... Um, I want to say that it all unfolded around like the same year. Okay. Yeah, a lot of the um, incidents that were similar all across the country. Okay. Because previously we didn't really hear anything about this. That's why we thought it was okay. And then um, following that, um, that was the same year in Washington, D.C. I got um, elected to serve on the Executive Committee of Unity. Um, I got to do a workshop for Native youth, like how can I advocate for myself to be able to wear cultural items to my oh, high school great. graduation. So that was awesome too. Like I got to go on and like advocate for and teach like the other youth, like how can I go about this in the right way? Like, yeah. yeah. Here's how you respectfully yeah. tell your principal that I'm, I'm going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, yeah, I thought that was such a cool story. Thank you for bringing that up, Carrie. I, I'm glad we got to that. <laughs> um, so I, I want to be conscious of our time here, and I just wanted to go through a couple more things. Um, and I was hoping to just end on some fun, positive things if we have the time as well. But before we do that, 
you know, this is a podcast about ACEs primarily, and my grant is almost up. But yeah, this last year, you know, I've been reading a lot about childhood development and thinking a lot about ACEs, and I know that um, this is something that both of you have had some um, experience with both personally, but also like learning the science. And I, I would just be curious to kind of get your reaction to when you first heard about ACEs, what was kind of like, what came to mind? Um, did it feel like it made sense? Did it feel like it was, um, something that could be applied to, you know, the community here, things like that. So working with Toyabi Indian Health Project, I was very blessed to also work with California Rural Indian Health Board very closely. Great. Um, one person um, in um, that stands out really to me is Daniel Domagin. Yeah. And he was able to do a workshop before me asking you to do a workshop, which yeah. we really enjoyed. Thank you. Um, he had mentioned how like it's part of our DNA. Yeah and how different experiences or childhood experiences, mm -hmm. whether it was our relatives or whether it's us, well, there's yeah. like a part of your DNA where you're like, okay, that's gonna hurt you, that's bad, or that's gonna burn you. Yeah. So it kind of like ingrains in your DNA where you're yeah. like, I need to avoid that. Mm -hmm. And so that gets passed on to your children and they're like, yeah. okay, I need to be resilient, I need to be strong, but oh wait, that's gonna harm me, so I need to stay away from yeah. that. And so, um, and also just being able to like assess and um, I actually, during one of the California Indian days before the powwow, I had a bunch of epidemiologists come from CRIB and do like mm. some pretty good survey and data collection with our community. And they were very, very open to it. I had just, cool. well, they also got um, gift cards for completing it. And yeah. it was something this to do. This was the native specific ACE screening tool? Mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, I yep. hosted it at the Ed Center and oh, then great. also at the powwow. Great. And so anyhow, during the after the powwow and before you go to like the youth games and then the actual powwow after the parade I meant not the powwow but anyways after the parade we invited people to come on over get a gift card do this and they were explained what they were giving their data for and so what we wanted to do is collect data specific to Bishop because yeah. natives from Bishop are different from natives from Arizona even natives totally. from Sacramento yeah. or um, other California tribes you know yeah. we were um we were fortunate that this valley shielded us from discovery. So, mm. you know, a lot of like the, you know, traumatic experiences that a lot of other tribes experienced that were on the coast, it, it came to us a little later. Yeah. So, but also, you know, just having um, like a, a different cultural standpoint or a different cultural raising than other tribes. Yeah. We wanted to know what affected Bishop tribal members yeah. and how we could make it better or how we could tailor the services that they receive. Yeah. So just getting um, information gathered specific to our people so that we can give treatment specific to our people. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like such an important project. Just... Yeah, kind of getting it the feedback directly from people of like, you know, what what is your experience and how can we help? I don't want to assume that the care that I'm giving you is the yeah. care that you need. Tell me yeah. what is bothering you and what totally. we can do to fix it. And something that I've heard come up a lot, especially kind of in the older generation, is the boarding school stuff. And, you know, I know that's something that's really been heavy on everyone's mind, given, you know, what's been in the news and what's going on in Canada. and. I know for me, this was just something that I didn't learn enough about. And I feel like is this part of history that um, in a lot of ways was intentionally buried and, and hidden. And, you know, I, I'm 
I'm curious how that kind of affects like the intergenerational piece you were talking about and affects, you know, this idea that trauma can be transmitted through the DNA. And that was a time, you know, not so long ago when people were punished for practicing their culture and sort of like, what is the response to that um, that could encourage healing um, and just kind of reflections on, on what's been in the news and how that relates to this concept of ACEs. So having, um, taking somebody and removing them from the home and removing them from the family that loves them and cares for them and takes care of them and then putting them in an environment where like this is how you're going to live and yeah. this is how you're going to be and this is the language you're going to yeah. speak and guess what, now this is your name. Yeah. And then just, you're, you know, beating them into obedience like you're yeah. not going to speak your language you're yeah. not going to have long hair you're not going to practice your traditions your culture your language your dances and then putting them back in and expecting them to be able to parent children they yeah. didn't know how to like as, you know go back to their own people and they were assimilated into like the i don't know what you would call it, like the english culture yeah and just stripped and changed of who they were or who they should be. So it's like, and then expecting them to love and care for their children when they weren't shown how to love and care for their children. And so I've also attended um, a really great conference in Paula, California, and it was Indigenizing California Education. Awesome. And um, amazing book. You've got to read that. Uh, I'll put it on the list. It's such an important topic. So, you know, just listening to the different speakers and the different experiences. And I've personally spoke to elders who, you know, said boarding school is an amazing experience. They learn skills. They learn, you know, different, um, you know, I guess, uh, careers, trade. Yeah. then she went home and, you know, she had a great home life and she raised a great family and, you know, all these other amazing things, but also just, um, you know, um, also seeing the different stories where, you know, I could not as a mother comprehend somebody coming in, taking my child. I would be like broken. I would be, you know, um, I, it, it would be like a death, you know what I mean? Yeah. To me, some, a part of me would die. Yeah. Um, you know, having um, another culture, you know, because Leticia, she's not, you know, just yeah. Paiute. Yeah. Um, their Hispanic side, they were saying, oh, well, we, you know, the firstborn son goes to live with their grandchildren. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, no, he doesn't. This is mine. This is my baby, and I'm going to raise him. Yeah. And the same with her, you know, and I'm sorry to her grandma that time that I did, you know, mine, mine, mine. You know, yeah, I love yeah. my children. Yeah. I'm going to raise them. I'm going to take care yeah. of them. And, um, you know, but just... I couldn't even comprehend how these parents felt never seeing their children again or never to have them come home. As the mother, I'm like, I treasure every experience I have with my children and I'm sure they did too. Yeah. So just being able to revitalize our language through like the language program, um, the power dance groups and, um, basketry or beading, whatever, you know, the different cultures and traditions that we have. I mean, we're, it's fortunate and I hope more people do take um, advantage of, you know, the different services that we have available in our community to to relearn our cultures and traditions so that, you know, that can be very healing, relaxing. I've hosted different workshops where people were thankful for, you know, the different um, skills they gained from our instructors. For sure. And even the so stories important. that the stories and like, you know, the assistance. So basically relearning culture can be like um, very healing. Yeah, absolutely. And getting back what was taken away. 
Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, you said a lot of really powerful stuff there. I, I think that, you know, one of the ways I've been trying to think about this stuff is through the lens of, like, attachment. And I've been learning, you know, some about childhood development. And I really like this guy, Gabor Mate's stuff. And he talks about how the two needs of a child are attachment and authenticity. Attachment being like you need caregivers who are there for you and they express that you're loved and they respond to your needs. And authenticity is, you know, the desire or just the, the fact that you can be yourself and feel comfortable being yourself and express yourself. And I think when you apply those two things to the boarding schools, it's just you completely lose both of those things. And... I think just the repercussions of that are still being felt in so many different ways. Um, yeah, and, and I just think it's, it's really interesting that now the media is shining a light on it. I, one thing I am kind of concerned about with media nowadays is like people latch onto a story for a little bit and then they drop it pretty mm -hmm. quick. So I'm really hoping that like something becomes of this and that, you know, there are actual um, definitive changes in policy and the way we teach history and, you know, in, in a lot of things, frankly, just based on, on this event. So just basically having a voice and using it is something that a lot of Native leaders are doing now. And, you know, sharing their stories and letting people know this is, you know, this isn't a bad thing that, like, I live on a reservation, but I yeah. shouldn't be on a reservation. Yeah. But now that I am, this is where yeah. I belong because next door to me is my mom, my yeah. dad, my uncle, my yeah. cousins. And this is, you know, our safety zone yeah. or, you know, our home. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I guess if we were given the chance to leave. <laughs> yeah. It just, you know, it'd, it'd, be, it'd be a learning experience. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I know there are people who have successfully, you know, yeah. you know, moved and, you know, maybe they didn't come back or maybe they do, but they know it's always here. Yeah. So that's the one thing about, you know, our tribal, I guess, tribal lands that we have is, yeah. you know, you know, you can always come back and here's your family. Here's your aunties, your uncles, yeah. your cousins, you know, brothers and sisters. Yeah. Rooted in where you came from and. Yeah, you know, I, I think one of the things that you said just kind of jogged something in my mind of like, you know, I'm coming from a social work space. I'm also coming from like I have white heritage. And, you know, I think there's a lot of things that white people don't understand about Native people. Like that's a really long list. But I think one of them is like this is in social work as well. And I see this in my social work lens is there's so much deficit language. It's like people talk about all of the challenges and all of the things that are, you know, all of the difficulties that Native people go through, but they they rarely talk about, like, the strengths and the beautiful things and, and um, you know, like, the values and the community and the um, ability to show up for each other. Like, that part gets left out of it a lot. Um, so yeah, I think this all, A, it leads me to Res Dogs because I think it's really cool to have some media that maybe um, paints like a more accurate picture of like, you know, they have the heavy stuff in there, but they also have the humor and like, it's it's funny, you know? And it's, it's a lot of things that I think have been missing in terms of representation. So I'm hoping to get to Res Dogs in a second, but <laughs> I'm just curious, you know, and I don't know how many people are gonna listen, specifically how many white people are going to listen to this podcast, but what do you think a lot of white people don't understand about Native people? 
I would probably have to say I don't think they understand like um this will like probably lead us into res dogs they don't understand our humor yeah (laughs) um I don't know it's just something that's very unique to us like um that's kind of like how we deal with trauma in a way like you kind of laugh it off or like I always Tawny always brings up, one of our coworkers always brings up the, one of the stories of like me getting hit with a cane <laughs> by my mother, but she was thinking it was my aunt and like we would just like laugh at it like after that had happened, like as a family, like we're laughing at getting hit, but that's kind of like how we like roll with the punches of life and yeah. how we deal with trauma is like. Oh, remember when you fell off of the truck and then you're like, yeah, ha, ha. like it's just how we kind of like cope and like one of our medicine <laughs> yeah. laughter. The best medicine. And, you know, to go in like hand in hand with the whole humor is like medicine. Yeah. Well, we do get offended, too. For sure. You know what I mean? We yeah. are not all broken and need to be fixed. We yeah. are not all hungry and need to be fed. Yeah. You know, we do have, you know, whether we have jobs or resources, we yeah. are not all just waiting here for somebody to come and save us and fix us. Yeah. We're doing just fine. You yeah. know what I mean? We're finding, um, you know, we find a way to survive. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like, um, thank you very much for thinking you need to come and clean our neighborhoods up or thinking mm. you need to come and feed our children or yeah. fix our broken you know, families, yeah. we're doing just fine. We're thriving. We're surviving. Yeah. We're resilient people. Mm-hmm. You don't need to come and save me. Yeah. And that attitude is a part of the problem of thinking, you know, it's best for another group of people and coming in there. And and we have our own thoughts and beliefs. You don't need to come and force yours on us. For sure. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, if we choose religion, we'll come knock on that religion yeah. door. You know what I mean? We'll go and attend that service, you know, and it's not saying it's not for everyone. Yeah. But if it's not for me, don't come and tell yeah. me I need to attend your service. I will come if I choose to. Yeah. And, you know, I know when I'm hurting, I can go and seek services. If I need counseling, I'll go get counseling, you know, and yeah. if I... I got to feed my family. I'm going to go and I'm going to get a job. You know, I'm not waiting for someone here to come and save me. And that's true for a lot of people. And, you know, we know where to get our resources. We're very resourceful people. So um, we'll ask, you know, family and maybe family can't provide it. So they'll say, hey, look, there's these social Mm -hmm. services over here or the supportive services over there. We kind of help each other find resources. Or we sell breakfast burritos. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like if we wanted to go somewhere... And we couldn't afford it, like, you know, with the yeah. job that we have. My mom would sell breakfast burritos, and guess what? We're going to be at that tournament, and we're yeah. going to stay at a nice hotel, yeah. and thanks, Mom, you know. Yeah. But we find a way to help each other out. We do For fundraisers. Sure. You know, we have jobs. We're good. And we have a great community who supports the, these fundraisers and knows, yeah. like, it's a great opportunity for our youth to attend, like, whatever we're attending and whatever we're fundraising for. So Yeah. And, you know, shout out to Diasepsy. She helps a lot of yeah. our um, Native students and families navigate the education system. For sure. Me included. Yeah. I mean, like, yes, you know, I did get my GED, but guess, you know, I'm I'm out there trying to take college classes now. I'm, like, yeah. super close to getting my associates in human services. Congrats. And I couldn't even navigate the FAFSA without her, and that really helped me, you yeah. know. Deanne with the school books over here at the OVCDC. Yeah. There's resources out there for education and, you know, I'm, I may be, you know, 
<laughs> almost a grandma, but I'm still going to get that education and it can be done. So that's awesome. Might have took me a minute. I'm very certified in a bunch of different programs, yeah. pregnancy prevention, suicide prevention, drug yeah. and alcohol prevention, lots of certificates, lots of training. Yeah. But I, you know, I don't want to just offer my thoughts and opinions and beliefs. Yeah. I want I want to have an educated standpoint behind it and that's also great. be able to provide those resources and point people in the right direction. Yeah. So Leticia never made it to any of those pregnancy prevention workshops. No, she actually <laughs> taught them, and, you know, 24 is a great age. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm just caught up. I know. <laughs> yeah. Mom, mama, mama Bear jumped on that one. I'm like, my daughter's done things. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's where she needs to be. Yeah, no one can take away from that resume. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and I, I think, like, what you're saying, too, like, your path maybe not being conventional, but other people see that. And I think other people who also have a non-conventional path can be like, oh, you know, like I could do that. Like it's not too late and I can, you know, I, and I think just having those role models and also having people like Dio help you navigate the system is so big in terms of like, sometimes that first step is like one of the hardest steps to just get going and, and get it all sorted out. When um, Leticia was, um, a, I guess, a young teen, she said, did you not go to college because of me, because you had me? And I Ooh. said, no, I didn't go to college because it wasn't my thing. Yeah. I wasn't, you know, yeah. like education. I did not know what I wanted to yeah. go to school for. I did not know what I wanted to be. Yeah. And it took me a long time to figure it out um, where I wanted to, you know, go with my edu- my career path. And once I figured it out, I was like, okay, let's do this. And it's not too late. I can go to those classes. I can do the work and, you know, got to work on that math. But, you know, everything else, A is all the way. So, you know, but, and, you know, just takes a little bit of dedication, time and drive and you could do it. That's awesome. Yeah. Any advice for people out there who are either struggling with trauma or they're struggling with not knowing what to do with themselves? Um, I think I would say... My best advice would be don't be afraid to seek mental health services because we do have a great family services um, locally. And um, I know it's kind of like it's not very like um, talked about within our community mm-hmm. seeking mental health services, but it's not a bad thing. And it's actually a really great thing to have somebody to talk um, about your struggles with and what you're going through. And if you're not comfortable with the services that are available here, there are online services. I'm a yeah. major fan of um, Jolie Varela and her um, Indigenous Women High group yeah. on Instagram. And yeah. she had mentioned getting um, online services mm-hmm. with a provider that was not from this area because yeah. that was how she chose to seek behavioral health services. Mm-hmm. And I do do a lot of, like, advocating for the We Are Native and the North Portland Area Indian Health Board. They do have 24-hour services available on there. You could go to the We Are Native site and just type in what type of services you're looking for. And there are, like, Ask Auntie, where you could just, like, throw out a question, whether you're a youth or an adult. And then a team of providers will come back with an answer for you and even links to services available. And those are, like, 24-hour services You know, um, if you want to go to the county, if you want to go to Northern Inyo, if you want to speak to somebody from out of the area, you know, seek services. Find someone to talk to. Oh, that's such a great plug. And I know talking to like Earl and Mel and Pat and some of those other people over there in family services, they said that there's just been a huge uptick during the pandemic of both, you know, mental health issues and substance abuse issues. And 
you know, it, it just seems like this stuff's more relevant than ever right now. And I wonder, you know, maybe this, we could have an entire podcast on this, but how, how might we encourage more people to go get help? You know, I know there's a lot of stigma around it. <clears throat> I know a lot of people um, maybe feel like it's a sign of weakness or just struggle with like admitting that they need help or going to get help. Um, what might you say to that person? So I'm really big in inspirational quotes. And my cousin had a post that she put on, um, I think, her Facebook or Instagram. And she put, I'd rather hear your story than attend your services. So oh, talk to wow. me. You know, I've I've done, you know, the, um, the different um, suicide prevention workshops and certified in, you know, multiple different e-suicide yeah. life you know um gosh i can't even think of the programs <laughs> you know because it's on the spot but like um I, you know i've attended the services and i'm here for you yeah. um whether it's your liaison at the school or yeah. your case counselor at tanif or you know even just like you know come into the you know bishop indian or ed center go over to Toyabi and even if it's not official services, just talk to somebody and then maybe make that determination of whether you actually need to seek services or you just needed to get something off your test. Just know that your yeah. community is here for you. Yeah. Oh, that's great advice. Okay. I think that's all I got in terms of the heavy content. I just want to do a couple <laughs> more fun things. If you all have the time, do you need to go Carrie? I'm, I'm here for all you. All right, let's do it. Um, <clears throat> so I want to play a little game I just thought of. So it's going to be agree or disagree, and I'll say a sentence, and then I was hoping you either could say <laughs> yes or no in Noom um, for whether you agree or, or disagree with this sentence. Are you ready? Okay. Do you know how to say it? No. Go ahead and show me. <laughs> so yes is huh. Uh-huh. No. Kadu. Kadu. Mm -hmm. Ha and kadu. Uh-huh. <laughs> Great Basin Bakery is better than Schatz. Ha. Ha. <laughs> oh, that was quick. That was an easy one. The youth have enough positive outlets in this town. Ha. Ha. I am concerned about the values of the next generation. Ha. In between. <laughs> yeah, what's, I was trying to look up the word for um, maybe, but I couldn't find oh. it. I feel like there could just be a sound where you're just like, hmm. What was it again? <laughs> I am concerned about the values of the next generation. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I'm kind of in between on that one. Yeah. I feel like um, only because, like, we're so, like, ever-changing in today's society. Like, yeah. I think that they have a lot of great values and ethics that maybe we wouldn't have, like, thought to have had in the yeah. past. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, too, like, um, I work a lot with the MDT, the multidisciplinary yeah. team, and a friend of mine, Sam Rotner, yeah. was reminding me is, like, people have different parenting styles, and you're yeah. not everybody's parent. Mm. So I can't, like, um, approach yeah. students or, you know, youth at that point where I'm, like, your mom, and I could tell you what to do. But when I see kids, um, not kids, when I see the youth engaging yeah. in risky behaviors that yeah. could possibly harm them. Yeah. Or, you know, curfews at 10, it's not let's get ready and go out at 10. Yeah. But then again, like yeah. I said, different parenting styles. Some people are more permissive and some mm. people are a little more strict like me. Yeah. I'm like, put your cell phone on the counter at 8 <laughs> yeah. o'clock, bedtime yeah. at 9. 
definitely respect that 10 o'clock curfew, but yeah. for your safety, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but that's just my parenting. Yeah, for sure. And other people may be the best parents in the whole world and, you know, yeah. no curfew. Good luck. Have fun. Yeah. The thing of like, is this actually problematic or is it just not the way I would do yeah. it? Yeah. Like, so that's like something or? I have to like really like okay. sit there and process and think about. So. Yeah. I'm still going to stick with the hot. Okay, copy that. <laughs> Leticia, is Junior going to have a curfew? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, just a couple more. I feel like this is a safe place to raise children. Huh. Huh. I believe we as a nation will move in a positive direction after COVID. Mm, huh. Huh. Nice. That's uplifting. Um, that's all I got for those. Do you, either you have any on it there? Well, one of the things that the youth council does during their meetings, I mean, they run it like, you know, actual meeting, they have an yeah. agenda that they yeah. follow and, you know, old and new business, but we do icebreakers. And one of the things is like, you know, they talk about, um, is mind mapping yeah. and then they do like the, you know, the core problem and the solutions. Yeah. I like and that. then also if we state a problem, what's the solution? Do yeah. we have a personal solution or maybe thoughts or beliefs that would solve that problem? Totally. So just, you know, always kind of thinking is if I have a problem, what's yeah. the, sol what's the solution or what's a possible yeah. solution even? It doesn't have to be the solution. I like that. Just solution oriented and like, it's easy to come up with problems. Like anyone can do that. But yeah, the, the harder step is like, what's our action? Well, yeah. Doing? And then also knowing you're a member of this community. Yeah. If you see a problem, what can you do to solve it? What can you do to fix it? Cause you can, Yeah. don't wait to be asked, make, yeah. make choices, make use your voice and make action. Yeah. If you see an elder that needs to be served, get up and serve them. If there's yeah. trash, pick it up. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I like that a lot. Okay, so the final thing I had to talk about was Res Dogs. <laughs> are you are you a fan of the show? Have you been watching Carrie? Totally. Um, awesome. So, one of the um, um, mentor directors, Tycho YPT, if I'm yeah. saying that right, that was the mentor director for Tazba's um, program, and Tazba's also involved with some of the yeah. writing. And you know, I've seen different aspects of their humor, and I'm like, that's Tazba right yeah, there. I for see sure. that that was something that you know I enjoy watching it anyway. And then also having a show where like I could laugh and Tony could laugh and the kids yeah. are like giggling around too, yeah. you know, just enjoying <laughs> it as a family. Yeah. And then also seeing like a little part of like, you know, not even just our community, but yeah. other indigenous communities and being mm -hmm. represented. And, you know, sometimes you're like, you, it's a show we're making time for, you yeah. know, it's like, we're going to, we're going to oh, remember to great. watch that. And then luckily you could stream on demand. So we missed it on, you know, Monday, let's watch it on Wednesday. For sure. So we're there for it. And it's a show like where there's not just one indigenous character in a film and that indigenous character isn't an alcoholic or yeah. it isn't like there's indigenous characters. Like they're not there as the sidekick to the yeah, white person. Exactly. Like yeah. they're, they are the show. Yeah. The indigenous um, characters and actors are the show. So that's what makes it really stand out and really awesome. As well as the directors and writers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. When I heard her speak, I thought it was really funny. She was saying that when she wanted to come up with something funny, she'd just be like, what would my brother say in this situation? And, <laughs> and I just, worked with her brother, yeah, Paul. Totally. Yeah. He would totally say that. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. I love the local connection there. And yeah, I, I love this idea of like, you know, the writing room being all native sitting there, I'd imagine that feeling is, you know, similar to some of the things you felt going to those conferences as a mm -hmm. youth, you know, just like, 
Yeah, just or just like how healing that environment was, like in their writing groups, like they're probably having like the greatest time of their lives, Uh, like planning out these episodes. That's probably so fun. Yeah, (laughs) and so like also another thing with the conferences that the youth go to, the Unity conferences, those are eight o'clock in the morning to like ten o'clock at night. Wow. So the youth are there for it, and you know sometimes they need to take a break, but typically they're there eight o'clock to ten o'clock running full-on meetings and having, um, like, what would that be called when you guys would have a a project? Um, We'd have different, like, initiatives. Initiatives. Oh, cool. And they would work on that. They would go, they would have a meeting, and they would say, okay, this is the problem in the communities or the tribal communities, and this is how we're going to, like, you know, these are our PSAs, these are our solutions, these are our speakers, you know. So they were the one, it was for the youth, by the youth. Yeah. And so kind of just, like, looking into the future, too, like, um, Unity brings, like, the keynote speakers that the youth want to see so I can see some of the actors or, like, maybe even Tazba or the other writers attending Unity because that's what, like, we do. We bring, like, whoever's big in Indian country to the conference so the Native youth have something to be excited about. So That's great. Yeah. And it's interesting seeing this stuff some of it kind of blow up and, and reach the, the mainstream. And, you know, I think the Tommy Orange book there, there a couple of years ago did that. And then now this show and, and um, from this conversation where Tazba was presenting too, that that was something that was mentioned that like, there's a lot more of these stories being sold currently. And like, we're going to see this huge renaissance and like, there's going to be a lot more media produced. There's going to be a lot more, you know, shows being made and movies you know, with, with indigenous people working on all sides of it. And I think it's just an exciting time. Like, I think it's exciting to think about that. And some of the things I noticed in the show are kind of things we talked about too, or it's sort of this blend of like the humor is so on point and it's so good, but it's also like the humor is this way to, it's like a easier way to unpack some of these really heavy issues you know coping with the pain or the struggle and then um the character cheese like he i know i brought that up with luke like he always throws out like little statistics (laughs) in like each episode that he's in so i think it's kind of like it's so awesome like he's throwing out like you know one out of five i don't remember if that's the like right statistic um one out of five natives suffer from mental health issues or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And so I thought that was funny because then in another episode he was in, he was thrown out statistics yeah. as well. So I thought that was really cool how he kind of just does that subliminally. Well, another show that Tosbo is a, a writer on, El, um, Resident Alien. Have yeah. you ever watched that I one? Haven't, I haven't gotten to that one yet. I really want to watch it. I think you'd really enjoy cool. it because it's a non-native doctor that goes and works in the community. Yeah. And I won't spoil all of it for you, yeah. but I think you would relate to him. <laughs> 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 oh man yeah I really like uh, I like Cheese as a character a lot I like that one where he's um, that woman in the clinic is like thinks that he's her grandson oh yeah and he just rolls with it yeah. <laughs> like they all at the end come out and because just see every, him like wheeling like, this random old woman yeah. well I used every, to call like, everybody my grandma yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's how I was gonna say everyone is like your grandma yeah. your cousin your auntie yeah I have relatives that I'm not quite sure whether they really are my relatives or do I just call you my cousin? Yeah. The community piece, I mean, I think we hit that one a lot. That feels like a major theme for this episode, you know, is just that 
it takes a village and there's all these people that play all these different roles in your life that together help cement your identity and um, that all these people, even maybe when they don't know it, can be really influential in terms of who you become. Yeah. And like I have a lot of mentors or even just like not even mentors, but like collaborators that have they play a major role in my life and whether they're native or non-native something that they said or taught me resonated with me Mm. and like I might share it I may pass it on but if I go to a training I'm definitely going to do a workshop on it because like this is stuff we need to share with our people I'm not just gathering education or information and just like holding on to it it's like I want everybody to experience it and then a lot of times like with the um Suicide prevention work. Yeah, yeah we're going to read it from the book because guess what? Yeah. I want you to receive the same information that I did because yeah. that way you could pass it on to someone and it could be healing for them. Yeah. And I think with a lot of this stuff, like with the ACEs, it's one thing to just kind of hear the science and hear numbers and see pie charts or whatever. But when you actually hear stories and real people and have the make those connections with people in your life, I think it, it, it hits different. It feels... Um, I know for me, it makes it like a little more intense and more relevant. Well, like how my husband, when he attended the workshop, like because he happened to be in the vehicle with me and he really enjoyed that because a lot of the things that he grew up with, because he grew up like a lighter skin native, his mom was non-native. And so just Mm. like belonging, but also being an outsider because you were too white to be white or too native to be white and too white to be native. One foot in each. Totally. And then also being involved in the um, justice system and going to prison and jail and boys homes and youth homes, you know, that he had like a lot of different ACE things that hit home with him. Mm -hmm. And so for him, he was just so excited about your workshop and he was sharing it with his coworkers and his friends and, you know, just being able to like relate to the information and understand that there's like, there's help out there for these Mm. different things that he struggled with as a youth and like um you are the way you are not just because that's who you are but because of your experiences yeah i think that's so huge and that's like when i try to teach this stuff in the workshops that's what i really hope happens and sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't but people just being like this makes sense like maybe i am this way because of what happened to me and maybe it's not like people tend to blame themselves and people tend to think like oh i'm crazy or oh this is my fault but like i think that's such a good takeaway from the aces stuff of like who i am and how often i get sick and how many times i've been to jail and all these things these are all related to my childhood um so yeah that's that's something that i really hope people can take away from the ACE of science and hopefully this podcast. Well, I think I want to try and wrap things up here. If that's okay with you two, I could talk to you two all day, but (laughs) I really, really appreciate you taking out some of your time this afternoon. Um, do you want to close with any like shout outs or any, uh, wins or any, any final closing thoughts you'd like to cap it off with? I think we kind of did throughout the show, but you know, like the people that I mentioned along the way, whether it was Valerie Tellman or, you know, yeah. her, her children, her amazing, talented, and, like, you know, my yeah. my cousins, they all, like, were amazing. Like, Billy Barlow, Chris mm-hmm. Hohag, yeah. Anna Hohag, you know, yeah. Joe Paca Barlow, you know, a lot of them you know. Those are, like, the people who helped shape who I am as a person. Yeah. Growing up in this community, working with Earl Lent closely for several years, yeah. going attending trainings and workshops with him, that helped me, like, motiv- like him and his education and 
his um, drive was like, okay, well, you know, if he could do it, I could do it. And then I went over to the education center and then meeting diasepsy and then just being able to be encouraged by her. She didn't push it on me, but she's like, hey, you know, you should take some classes and then just doing it, you know, just having all these supportive people in my life. And then also Leticia, you know, always motivating me to be a better person, a better mom. And, you know, what can I do to take care of my kids? Because... They're, they're here because of me, and I have to be a good mom for them. Yeah. So my children, Tony, my husband. Yeah. Big shout-out, Tony. I think I would like to give a shout-out to all of my siblings and my cousins because they're kind of like my motivation to, like, every little step of the way that um, of the path that I was on because I wanted to be a great role model to them, and so... I would always like think in the back of my head, like, what can I do to motivate them to be a better person when they're like this age? Yeah. Yeah. And so on and so forth. So, yeah. Shout out to them because they're really like my main motivation. <laughs> Great. One yeah. last thing. Yeah. Um, I also want to say like with her being involved with Unity and me being involved with Unity, mm-hmm. it's just the valuable information that I took away from those conferences and from her being involved with Unity in a leadership role and now Caitlin being the Pacific Region representative, it's just like I can't thank that program enough for shaping the leadership and the drive and the motivation and the education that they provide. Like they say, the physical, social, spiritual, mental aspects of their lives. Yeah. Um, Just even the stuff they share online, you know, is just I love those inspirational quotes. Yeah. (laughs) It sounds like it's been really impactful on both your journeys. It has. Um, Sounds like a great program. Well, thank you so much for sharing your stories. I really appreciate you all coming on and talking. Thank you. We appreciate you and your capacity in our community. Oh, stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was wonderful to sit down and drink some more chata. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully talk again soon. Thank you to OVCDC and ACES Aware for your continued support. Big shout out to Grayson Gorse for providing the original music you heard during the introduction. You can find his tracks wherever you get your music. Thank you to our amazing, talented guests who volunteer some of their precious free time to sit down for our conversation. If you'd like to reach out or have questions about the show, please email lwilson at ovcdc.com. Thank you for listening and happy healing.